Amen. Thank you. Our second scripture passage comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. This may sound familiar to you all. Please listen for a word from God. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the Israelites. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. May you give us peace and wholeness. Amen. Author Kurt Vonnegut tells a story about a man named Hemholtz. Now, Hemholtz was a high school band director, and one day he was eating breakfast in his local diner. And while eating breakfast, the owner of the diner came out, and they began to converse, to chat. And while they were talking, Hemholtz noticed a boy he had never seen before in their small town, and he asked the owner of the diner who this young boy was. The owner of the diner explained that it was his nephew. His nephew, whose parents were divorced, one parent was in jail, the other left, and so after a string of foster homes, this young man was dropped on his doorstep. Hearing this tale, Hemholtz asked if he could give the boy a ride to school. The owner of the diner gave a rueful smile and said, go for it, but you should know that the only thing he cares about are those dang boots of his. So Hemholtz invites the boy to go on a ride with him to school, and the boy accepts. He finds out, Hemholtz finds out that the boy's name is Jim. And Hemholtz has worked with high schools for a long time, so he deploys every device of conversation to try to get Jim to engage with him to no avail. He's met with grunts, with snuffs, with silence, to all his inquiries and all his questions. The only thing he can see is Jim polishing his boots in the car. Finally, they arrive to the school, and Hemholtz tells Jim that in one last attempt, if you want to do something, if you want to get to know people, we have all these clubs, we have sports, you should get involved, really get to know some people. And Jim viciously responds that maybe I don't want to get to know people. And he shines his boots and he exits the car. Well, Hemholtz continues on with his day and after a third period, he's called to a meeting, a meeting about vandalism, the English teacher All his manuscripts, his diplomas have all been destroyed. All his life's work has been ruined. Hemholtz is greatly disturbed by this, for the English teacher is a friend of his. That night, Hemholtz is trying to sleep, but he just can't get the image out of his head of his beautiful bass drums and his band being destroyed. And so he gets up in the middle of the night and goes to school because... Apparently in the 50s, teachers could just pop into school whenever they wanted. 
So he goes to school and he's pacing back and forth by his bass drums when he hears a clatter in the science room. So he goes to the science room and lo and behold, there is Jim destroying lab equipment, destroying periodic tables. And Hemholtz brings him back to the band room and asks him, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? To which Jim doesn't really give an answer. He stares at him blankly. And Hemholtz, frustrated, goes to a safe he keeps in his office and he pulls out his prized trumpet. A trumpet who belonged to a famous jazz musician and he hands it to Jim and he says, here, this is my most prized possession. Destroy it. And Jim looks at it and sets it aside, unsure what to do, but he doesn't, still doesn't respond to Hemholtz. Hemholtz, again, frustrated, grabs Jim and he pulls his boots off. And he says, we're trading these. I don't think they're good for you. And so Jim takes the trumpet home and Hemholtz goes home. And the next morning, he goes to the diner. He's hoping that maybe this trumpet could buy Jim's soul, could change who Jim was. But the next day, the owner of the diner comes out confused and a little peeved that his nephew came home without shoes and instead a trumpet and brings the trumpet to Hemholtz and says, Jim doesn't want this. I don't want this. I don't want Jim either. I'm sending him back to the foster homes. It's too much work. And Hemholtz looks at Jim, who gives a little bit of a wry smile and again faces him with apathy. And Hemholtz takes his prized trumpet and he bangs it on the table and he bends it and morphs it and sets it down and walks out. And Jim, seeing the pain of this man for the first time in his life, begins to feel sorry for someone other than himself. Three weeks later, the next semester begins and Hemholtz looks at his beginning band list. And in the back corner of the trumpet section, there's Jim with a repaired trumpet. Hemholtz does his usual first day speech and he tells the students, he tells them that their aim is to make the world more beautiful than it was when they came into it. When he hears a squeaky voice from the back of the room, unmistakably Jim's ask, how? How can we do that? And Hemholtz responds, love yourself and make your instrument sing about it. Make peace in yourself. Jim in this story is desperately looking for peace, for wholeness, and a life that has tossed him around. He finds fulfillment only in keeping his boots clean, taking on the bad boy persona, and destroying what's valuable to other people. And a life where he has faced nothing but brokenness, nothing but storm, nothing but war, he has decided to retreat into himself. He seeks to lash out and to hurt. He's at war. He has conflict within his heart. We are on week six of our sermon series, Hebrew 101, seven Hebrew words every Christian should know. And I have to admit, this is my favorite word that we're covering. And the word is shalom. In our passage from Numbers, 
Shalom is translated as peace. But shalom has quite the semantic range when it's used all throughout the Old Testament. It can be, it's been translated as peace, contentment, restoration, safety. All these English words we try to use to encapsulate this one word, this one concept, this one idea, this one beautiful word, shalom. In Hebrew, we're going to dig a little deeper because I think it'll help us understand, so stick with me. In Hebrew, every single noun, every single adjective derives from a three-letter verb. All right? So if you have a Hebrew lexicon or Hebrew dictionary, it goes in alphabetical order, but it'll only have those three-letter verbs. So shalom won't be exactly where you expect it to be. It'll be, from, it'll be placed under the verb it derives from. And the three-letter verb it derives from means to make complete, to make sound. So in order for us to understand this word, we almost need a full sentence in English. Shalom is to be at peace, to be made whole, to be fulfilled and made right in our relationships with God and others, to be made whole in every relationship. I think we are all searching for peace, peace in ourselves, peace in our relationships, peace with God, because there's often a battle raging in these relationships, or maybe not necessarily a battle, but more of the relationships feel like silly putty or, or chewed gum being stretched further and further, fraying at the edges, getting thinner and thinner. And so when these relationships get difficult, we seek wholeness in a myriad of other things, be it our job, be it hobbies, be it material things. You know, Amazon Prime Day was this past week. I don't know if you all bought something. I sure did. But many come to these material purchases in search of wholeness, in search of fulfillment. What I love about the story of Jim and Hemholtz is Jim is sure that sharing his prized possession will change Jim. I thought it was going to the first time I read this story. Surely in the gift of this trumpet, that will change Jim's heart. But it's not the material thing. It's not this somewhat American idea that this material good can change this person. Instead, it's actually the destruction of the trumpet that changes Jim. It's allowing Jim to see Hamholtz's own brokenness, his own confusion, his own frustration that repairs their relationship and points to wholeness and peace. Shalom can't be found in Jim's boots. Shalom can't be found in the gift of Hamholtz's trumpets. Shalom, peace, is found in the mending of their relationship and ultimately their relationship within themselves, how they view their own heart and the world.
when we are feeling unmade, incomplete, it's usually because there's an imbalance in our relationships. Maybe we have a distorted view of ourselves that we're not doing enough for our family or we're not performing as well at our job as we'd like to. We don't look how we ought, we wish we ought to. Or maybe a relationship with a friend or family member is out of sort because we made a comment that was misinterpreted and feelings were hurt and there's too much pride to ask for forgiveness. Or maybe our relationship with the whole community is out of balance. Maybe there's unrest because we haven't spoken with someone who looks differently than us in several months. Or we haven't spoken with someone who has a different political viewpoint. So it's not necessarily that the relationship is strained, but the relationship doesn't exist. Or maybe your relationship with God has been disrupted. You're upset with God about how life has gone, how this year has gone. Maybe you're not at war with God, but simply ignoring God on not speaking terms because of apathy, because of busyness, because of tiredness, but regardless, the broken relationship remains. And all these fractures of relationships, most importantly, fractures of our relationship with God, lead to incompleteness in our hearts and in our souls. But beloved, the good news is that Christ is Shalom. Christ is perfect peace. Christ is wholeness. Shalom starts with God and permeates through the rest of our lives and the rest of our relationships. We can't create this peace on our own. But the peace and fullness that we seek in our relationship with others, within ourselves, with other communities, comes freely from God. It's present. It's there. This is God's gift to us. Shalom is a well that never runs dry. Shalom can never be diminished. Shalom is a light that can never be extinguished. But it's something we have to actively pursue. It's something we have to actively work for. I think sometimes when we think of peace in relation to war, we see peace as passivity, as not doing anything, but to pursue shalom, to pursue perfect peace in ourselves and our relationships, that is an active pursuit. That is work. But God is beckoning us to shalom. God is beckoning us to participate in the kingdom of God where shalom reigns, where God's love reigns, where God's peace reigns. And we have confidence in this peace when we seek it because God has promised it to us. God has promised it in the form of this blessing. This blessing that we read in Numbers, this blessing that Pastor Tara gives us at the end of each worship service. A blessing that the Lord will bless us and keep us. 
A blessing that the Lord will look upon us and be gracious to us. And ultimately, that promise that God will give us shalom. Perfect peace. Perfect wholeness. When we are at war with ourselves, at war with others, at war with God, when we are tired, when we are incomplete, God brings us to restoration. God brings us peace. And we know that because God is restoration. God is peace. God is love. God is fulfillment. God is shalom. Thanks be to God. Amen.